Welcome to the first episode of the new podcast, Peep This Noise. I'm your uh, host, or one of your hosts, Logan Johnson. Um, I'm sitting here with our other two hosts. You guys want to introduce yourselves? I'm Greg Marchant. I am sitting to Logan's left. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. And sitting to my right is Nathaniel Johnson. I guess that was a cue. For some yep. reason, I thought you were going to... I pointed right I, I to thought, you. I, I thought you were going to do the whole Larry King thing. And my next guest needs no introduction. <laughs> uh, like I thought that's true. what you were going to do. I, I thought this was where we were in our relationship, but I guess not. True, true. Uh, yeah, we don't really have the flow of this done yet because this is absolutely, definitely, 100% the first of these that we've recorded. Absolutely. Just a clean take, never been tried, never been attempted before. Yeah. Um, actually, what we're going to do is give a little bit of background on this show. Uh, so we've been, this show has been in production for a minute now. We've actually recorded several episodes, uh, but this is the first one we're going to release. Mm-hmm. So the basic premise of this show, uh, we're going to go through and we're going to view or read or watch or consume or absorb or photosynthesize various pieces of media. I've been doing it mostly through osmosis at this point. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I've, it was photosynthesis for me. They call me chlorophyll. Wink. My uh, my YouTube membrane is pretty thin. I get a lot of memes absorbed that way. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Semi-permeable YouTube membrane. Yep. I like that. Both of you on the osmosis train. I like that. The osmosis Jones train. You know. Um, but yeah, Starring no. Bill Murray. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, that's the basic pitch of what we're going to do here. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about Kafka's novella I guess mm-hmm. metamorphosis and a little bit of some of the the themes in there but we're planning to do a different thing every week so at the end of this episode we'll tell you what's up next and then we'll have kind of a train going from there but this one's just to kick it off if you haven't read metamorphosis it's free online and relatively short or you can just like watch us blow this whole thing open and hopefully it's not a train wreck yeah I mean, I like trains and I like train wrecks. Have you ever seen a train wreck? You cannot look away. It is physically <laughs> impossible. It's like frowning while eating a frosty. And is the only thing you can talk about after that point. That's why I'm talking about it. So in our show notes, it says that I'm supposed to keep the discussion going and head right into metamorphosis. But you're talking about trains. Do you want to keep that going? How are we feeling? Um, I mean, like I said, I've seen train wrecks. I have to keep talking about okay, them. Okay, well, I like trains. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and move into talking a little bit about Well, Gregor has some problems with trains right yes, at the beginning. Yes, he does. Beginning. True. Yeah. True. In, in that he is late for one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, who among us has not been late for a train before? <laughs> sure, yeah. So for people who don't know, the central pitch of Metamorphosis is that Gregor Samsa, who's a just very good, upstanding businessman who takes care of all of his family's needs, is aged parents and his younger sister he's really got the whole thing on lockdown and he wakes up one day basically just a giant horrifying bug that's the first sentence of the book is that he woke up to find that he'd been transformed into a monstrous vermin yeah and monstrous verminous bug yes monstrous verminous. depends on the translation you read he's very clearly a cockroach though let's be real about yeah yeah he's very clearly a cockroach just a giant roach um which is kind of funny because the whole thing has this this interesting air of magic realism to it, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. This idea of, like, Kafka's like, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to say something, and you guys are just going to have to just stick with me. Gregor awoke, and he was a bug. Um, the wildest part about that to me, by the way, is that nobody questions this the whole time. Nobody goes, what is this giant bug? They all go, 
this must be Gregor. <laughs> I, I felt like he really clearly led into it, though. Like, yeah, at first he could be understood when he was talking. They were like, "There's clearly he's clearly here, and now uh, there's clearly something wrong with him. I thought it was pretty clever. That's fair. Yeah, and then with time, he becomes more and more insectoid in nature. And I want to talk a little bit about kind of these ideas and, and the way that this is this is presented in this kind of like magical realism style. What do we think the tone of Metamorphosis is? Is it satirical? Is it serious? Is it just a big joke? May, Which, may, may I quote A Knight's Tale uh, to explain my thoughts on this? You may. I, my <laughs> lord, you should. Yeah, is this mother may I? <laughs> my lord, I only laugh to keep from weeping. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, by the way, for this podcast, just assume we're going to open up spoilers. Um, if you haven't read the thing and you're still interested, you're here and you know that. Uh, this book does not go super well for Gregor. What? <laughs> Wait, I hadn't finished it. Well, that's, <laughs> that's your bad. No, I did finish it. I actually audiobooked it, of all things. Oh, nice. It, nice, was, a, nice, it was a very fun experience. Yeah, so I think to the degree looking at the tragic ending, which is uh, Gregor's death, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by the way, not transformation back into humanoid form and then death. No, it's just his death as a bug. Um as bugs do. Yes, as bugs are often wont to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think that gives it a tone of seriousness. But I also feel like there's other ways in which this hinges on uh, a kind of goofiness, almost, or a kind of absurdity that I think is is like really well encapsulated. At, there's a, a point in the novel where Gregor's family is struggling for money, so they decide to like sublet their house. I remember and it's this like part. it's essentially like these foreign travelers, I think from the Alps, who just come like these mountaineers, just like or construction workers maybe, just decide they're gonna like live in this subletted room where there's a giant insect the next door over. Yeah, and, but they don't know that. No, no, no. But it's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> if you had you you would find another way to make money if you had a giant <laughs> yes, you would. in your house, right? The, one of the most comical things to me in it is how... Okay, Gregor is a great guy, and I'm not just saying that because his name is similar to mine. True. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a great... Uh, you learn some facts about him. He was, he was like an upstanding military officer, mm-hmm. and you know he took care of his family and, uh, and stuff like that. And for the most part, his, uh, from our modern standpoint, I look at this and I go... His parents don't deserve him. <laughs> yeah, right. Like they just don't. They're not worth it. Like, I, uh, does it? I I forget. Does it specify how old his parents are? I don't think it says by like any sort of age, but it gives the impression that even if they haven't lived a long time, that they are old. And what I mean by that is like their lifestyle means that they are near the end of their lives. Is the impression it gives like that they are wasting away. With each but that can't moment. be possible, because his sister is young enough to not have like gone to school. Right. Yeah. Well, like college. School. Yeah. 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 So they can't be. They so they can't be old, but they're wasting away in a lot of ways. And so the thing that gets me is like his dad sits there and eats breakfast for hours on end, living off of the income that his son provides without ever with Gregor being entirely responsible for their finances. And Gregor puts up with this and he's like, Oh cool. 
Yeah, this is just the way things are. And then he turns into a bug and his dad stomps on him. (laughs) Yeah, so so that is exactly what happens, right? He dies at the hand of his father. Yeah. Pretty explicitly um, in a conflict, but also I think it's specifically the apple wound is what... I think it is. Like, festers and rots. Okay, the the apple wound is just a wild concept. Yeah, his dad throws an apple. Makes me cringe a little bit. Carapace, right? Uh Yeah, it's... It's graphic in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect, right? Mm-hmm. The embedding of a of an apple, of a piece of fruit into the carapace of a giant bug is visceral in a sense that you can't help but feel uh, a little bit of sympathy for a giant cockroach. There was a surprising amount of gore in a story that was kind of, you know, semi-comical. Yeah. And only is it takes place in a very, very domestic setting that up to this point, doesn't seem like it's had any physical abuse in that home, ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, so I think that there is a, a degree to which that lends to this dual nature of the text. In On one hand, it's just, we're just having fun here. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, it's like, no, actually, like this is about like a family falling apart and like the damages that ensue. Well, and I think, I think it's also about larger societal issues while we're at it. I think it is. Um, I, I, I think it's I think it's a mirror for uh, the industrial world. Like, it's a lens to look at it through because... Totally. Which lends into our next question a little bit, which I wrote, what role does Gregor play in the story and how can we view the things that happen to him as common elements of the human condition? Oh, okay, yeah. So, then I would like to talk about the, uh, the industrial side of things. So, Gregor... He doesn't work in like an industrial factory or anything, but his job only exists because of industrial labor. You can't be a traveling salesman without mass product behind you to be able to sell that people wouldn't want unless a traveling salesman came and knocked on their door telling them they should want it. And he sells like carpet or fabric? Yeah, it's some sort of textile. Some sort of textile. It's a textile. And he basically doesn't bring it with him from what I understand. Like he might bring some swatches of it, but like... It's shipped, from what I understand, once he travels. To yeah, the he has his sample case. Right. Um, but regardless, he's like, he wakes up and he's a bug. And he's like, okay, this is just a minor setback. Like, I got to get into work. <laughs> like, I got to get into work. And like, I cannot imagine like anything that horrific happening to anyone. And then being like, you know what I got to do? I got to get to my job. I mean, I'm going to push back on you a little bit on this one. Like, at time of recording, we're in the midst of a viral outbreak. I was going to bring this up. If and people okay, are sure. going to work with a virus. That's I, true. I saw a meme that was... Good. I saw a meme that was basically just like a, just like a Reddit or... A, a Reddit block of text or like a tweet or something like that that someone had captioned off. And it, it was to the effect of... Um, we're having a massive coronavirus outbreak. A massive viral outbreak spreads uh, from person to person. Um, who would have ever thought there was a problem with a workforce pr- comprised primarily of uh, of uninsured part-time labor whose income depends on getting to work every day? And that they have no sick days or yeah. time off. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is exactly what happens to Gregor, right? He wakes up as a bug... And his boss shows up. His boss shows up to his house when he's late, like, by two hours, right? Mm-hmm. Which tells you the important role Gregor plays at work and how he cannot miss a day. He loses his job because he misses a day of work because he has turned into a cockroach, 
Right? Obviously, this is all caricature in a way, but is it? No, like, I know people who live in fear, and I used to be one of those people, that if you if I was ever late for work or missed work, that I would lose my job. I and mean, there are jobs like that. And there are jobs like that. But the thing is, most people can actually afford to miss a day of work. Like, they usually won't get fired. And even if they do, they usually can go find another job. But Gregor, whether that's because he's not in that kind of circumstance where he could keep making the same kind of money or whether it's because he doesn't realize the other opportunities that might be available to him should he ever get out of his situation of being a giant bug, doesn't even consider that. He's so determined just to get to work. But as soon as he gets fired, he never thinks about working really again. Like, he doesn't start considering what he can do to provide an income. He just kind of gives up. Right, because he's a bug. He's a bug. Right, because he's a bug. <laughs> but, but no, 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 I, I, I want to point this out. Being a bug didn't stop him from trying. It was once he got fired that he gave up. Okay, I can see the point that you're making there. So I guess like people could go through actually a lot of stuff and still be willing to provide value to the companies that they work for. But as soon as you treat them like a bug, they're done. They, they won't work for you anymore. I don't know. I feel like he was already being treated like a bug. Yes. But now he knows that he's being treated like a bug and that they won't accept him. Yeah, but I would I would argue that the only thing that's stripped away is his ability to work, right? I don't think Gregor's desire, lack of desire to return to the workforce has anything to do with his spirit of, like, his work ethic being crushed. I think it has more to do with the fact that he's got six legs and a shiny carapace. Sure. Right? Like, once he lost the one job that he had, you can't show up to an interview as a bug. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that leads me to another question. Do you think that him being a bug is a metaphor for disability? I don't think so, no. I I kind of took it as he was now outwardly the way that the, the, way that the economy and society he was in was treating him. That's why. I, th- I, I think that's definitely a fair take. Like, dispo insects are... Uh, insects are, to most of us who don't mind squishing them, disposable mm-hmm. and not very useful. And we only tolerate them as long as they don't do anything wrong. Right. And as long as they are part of the healthy ecosystem around us, right? Mm-hmm. right. Think about a an overwhelming thing, like an overwhelming outbreak of, of insects. The fa- first thing we do is... But get some pesticides. We, we love ladybugs because they're like small and cute and crawl around and look fun but then we don't like them when they move into hibernate in our mailbox in the winter right right or in our walls or something like that in large numbers yeah and i i think that that's i think that's definitely a takeaway that should be taken away from this but i like to look at him as a character that has had disability strike him rather unexpectedly um He's been the main caretaker in his home, and all of a sudden, he can't be. And not only can he not be, he has to rely on the other members of his family to take care of him. A complete reversal of roles. Um, And I've seen people end up in that reversal. And I've seen those people come to resent their former caretaker because now they're taking care of them. And it seems like that's what's happening. Like, he's basically confined to his room, and all he wants is for people to love him. And he gets very angry when they don't. And... Then he dies, and nobody misses him. Yeah, I think we have to be really careful here, though, because 
if once we start talking about disability, you have to remember that we're talking about like real people. Yes. And so even like saying like, like in in making this comparison to the text, we would be really clear that we're not ascribing any kind of insectoid or no or untoward characteristic toward disability. It's a normal and in many ways beautiful part of life. And I don't necessarily think that that is how all situations with disability end, or even most of them. I don't think so either. But I wouldn't put it past Kafka to be making a commentary about how people treat those with disabilities who have had a reversal of their situation come through no fault of their own and no necessarily explainable means and how their family treats them. Specifically, um, the the workplace that, uh, that Gregor is a part of is still somewhat in the tradition of, and maybe this is where his parents being not super aged, but maybe not fit to work comes into it. It's still part of the tradition of you go to a job that over time cripples you. Mm. Um, that That's why child labor laws started to be put into force because children would end up uh, so war, like their, their bodies, their physical, mm-hmm. their physical bodies would end up so uh, crippled and warped and damaged by the repetitive labors that they were doing and by the long hours that they were working um, that they became unable to work as adults um, which was you know bad for the workforce and an atrocity to humankind to have children especially end up that way um, and if um, if we're looking at when in the in our like current like current modern day economic system we have disability that we talk about people going on disability and a lot of the time it's not necessarily that they were um it's not necessarily that they um have uh it, it's not necessarily i guess what i'm trying to say is it's not necessarily just that you um just that you're like born with some kind of uh, with some kind of uh, thing that hampers your ability to uh, to do certain activities, it also include people go on disability because of workplace injuries and because of uh, traffic accidents while traveling and commuting and stuff like mm-hmm. that. These are all reasons that people uh, that people um, lose their ability to work and. Um, and I think that might be a pretty, I think that might be a pretty apt comparison of someone who has a high, someone like Gregor who has a high stress, um, strenuous job. And then rather than, rather than, you know, getting, getting hit by a car while crossing a street or, or, um, suffering some other kind of injury, he turns into a, he turns into an insect. Mm-hmm. But the but the result is very much the same. Yeah, I I like the I like some of the ideas we've batted around a lot. I before we move on to talking about some of the other characters in this text, I do want to talk about one more thing with Gregor, which is in connection with some literary theories um, that have been developed over the past thirty or forty years, particularly an aspect of queer theory, which deals with the idea of an inner self and an outer self. Um, to be kind of short in writing, one of the, the queer theorists uh, by the name of Eve Sedgwick developed the idea that in becoming, in, in you have your inner self, and then there are things that the people around you do that are prescriptive 
you internalize and then you begin to do those things and then those things that you do become your outer self so this is tied to this idea that greg was giving earlier this idea that gregor was one way but then the people around him kind of pushed an identity of cockroach onto him until eventually his inner self changed to match Mm. that prescription Mm -hmm. does that make any sense yeah it does and i think that this is a really interesting idea and i want to maybe think about some of the some of the ramifications of that and some of the ideas i I was interested in some of your thoughts surrounding this idea of an inner self conforming to the pressures put on you externally cool i was actually kind of thinking about something similar but i wasn't sure how to tie it in cool (laughs) um with with gregor being in uh, with Gregor being in the situation that he's in in the story where he's turned um, where he's turned into a, uh, a bug um, and this is kind of tying back to his ability to work one of the things that his family seems to see him as like seems to see as defining about him is that he he's reliable and he and he goes to work mm-hmm. but internally like uh, aside from all those things he has all these other things that we get to hear as the reader because we're we're Uh seeing this from his point of view we're hearing his thoughts and he he's not thinking about himself necessarily as reliable he's thinking about himself as someone who really wishes that he could push back against his harsh uh his harsh workplace he's someone who really um, he's someone who really loves his family deeply and just wants to make them happy. He's a very positive, uh, he's a very positive and very clear thinking type of person who's good under pressure, mm-hmm. but that's not who people see him as. And that's why he suffers internally. Like he, he crawls off to die. Right. He, he suffers, uh, internally like. Uh, throughout the course of his life as a bug, he it's kind of a microcosm of what he's all, what he was already going through. He was he was gradually just dying underneath the underneath the mountain of these expectations and requirements that were placed on him, while he himself was while he himself like um, was it you or Nathaniel that said earlier just wanted to be loved. I think that was me. Yeah, Nathaniel said earlier he just wanted to be loved. And he just wanted to, uh, he just wanted to take care of those he cared about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something interesting that you bring here in connection to the inner and the outer is this idea that yes, while what Gregor is on the outside changes, there's also a nature to which like the actions that he's performing outside of himself kind of get stripped away by the metamorphosis, mm-hmm. and he's left exclusively with what's inside of him and what's inside of him has been rotting for a really long time. Yeah. And I think that that's a really interesting point. Nathaniel, you have some thoughts about that. Yeah. So you talk about how the family sees Gregor as one thing, but we get to see all these other aspects of Gregor. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the book, what happens is after Gregor is dead, the family starts spending time together and they go, Hey, we actually don't know each other at all, but it turns out we really like each other's company. And we lo- we realize that we're in a pretty good position as a family and we want to make plans for the future and we want to be a family unit. And that's basically the note the book ends on, essentially. <laughs> and it's this wild thing because there's this implication that like while Gregor was a part of their lives, they didn't know each other. 
Like, they didn't interact, even though they were all together all the time. So what do you think that has to say about the ideas that the text is putting forward? Well, I think there's a couple things. I think... Gosh, I think there's actually a lot of ways that you could take it. Um, but one of the things that I think is going on is we get to see Gregor as the working person. And Gregor, in a lot of ways, is aware that people do not see him accurately. He talks about how his family views him, and he talks about how the people at work view him and all that. Nobody sees him for who he is. Um, and it's not until the family starts working and the burden of Gregor is lifted off of them that they start to see each other equally. And I almost wonder if Kafka is saying something about working instead of just existing, like doing something with your life. Uh, makes it so that you are able to see the rest of the world around you instead of just your own selfish needs. Perhaps. Because Gregor, once he stops working, starts spinning downward and only starts to be able to see his own selfish needs. I can see that to a degree. Um, but I think we can maybe expand that idea and, and focus on uh, this idea of shared adversity mm, instead okay. of maybe labor. I think that might be a better um, way to put it. What happens to Gregor is actually, I think, more accurately a product of his interiority, right? Where things really, things are actually okay for Gregor in the beginning, right? Um, kind of segueing into a discussion of the other characters, particularly his family, and, and the character I really wanted to focus on is his sister. Naturally. His relationship with his sister actually flourishes for a little bit at the beginning because they have kind of, even though she's terrified of him, they have kind of a way of communicating. And it's as that communication starts to dwindle and Gregor starts to deepen or fall deeper into this chasm of interiority, that's when things really start to go badly for him. And then as his family bonds together against this common problem, that's when they start to recognize each other and realize what they are as a family unit. I, it makes me want to, uh, this, this idea, cause it, it's a good interpretation, but it makes me a little bit, uh, it, it's a little bit problematic in that the, um, in that the family comes together, um, the family comes together only fully when, uh, only fully when Gregor as like our focal character is dead and his burden is lifted from them. Um, I I don't know I don't know if that exactly fits for me. How what would you how would you respond to that? That it yeah. doesn't seem like they came together as a family. It seems like uh, it doesn't seem like they uh, it doesn't seem like they came together as a family to me. It seems like they. Um, it seems like they were just happy to have him gone, kind of. Sure, I think there's a degree of that, but I think there's another degree that lends a little bit to what Nathaniel was saying, this idea of how they... It was before, it was like they hadn't even noticed each other, right? And there are scrapings of family conflict all throughout Gregor's trial, all throughout mm -hmm. his metamorphosis, right? There's kind of this awkward... You know, the, the early portrayal of the family is something incredibly disparate, like... The, the initial encounter of Gregor with each of his family members is a separate, individualized thing. Whereas there are later accounts where the family huddles together to hide from Greg Gregor behind some kind of a weapon, right? Mm -hmm. um, these spatial, I think, placements of the family lend a little bit of, of instruction as far as their emotional attachment. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a read we can give here, too, 
about the way that the family starts to rely on each other rather than relying on Gregor, right? So I think I agree with you that it's problematic. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I don't know that I necessarily like love this idea that Gregor's untimely demise or relief from metamorphosis or however you want to look at whatever happens to Gregor at the end of this book. Um, I agree that that being kind of viewed as a bonding agent is maybe not comfortable or even ethical or good or ideal. But I, I think that there's a degree yeah. to which it happens in the story. Mm-hmm. If if people if people were to act that way around, say if we if we go with our if we go with our like injured breadwinner as a met, Gregor as a metaphor for an injured breadwinner, if that were to happen to a family surrounding an injured breadwinner or something like that, we'd call them all horrible people. But yeah, yes, this except, is this is fantastical. So except there is a degree again to which this happens. Bear with me. Right. Let's take aside all of the terrible things that his family does and the terrible ways in which they act. Because they're pretty terrible to Gregor throughout this story. But there are times, repeated over and over, where the breadwinner of the family is injured or seriously crippled and cannot perform those functions, has to rely on the other members of the family. The other members of the family struggle through that adversity, start finding other ways to survive, and take care of the former breadwinner. The former breadwinner dies... And that burden is lifted from them because it is a burden. It's tough. It's hard. And they go, hey, I've realized that we've gone through a lot together, us humans who still live here. And we actually have a lot in common, but we've been kind of absorbed in other things and with other concerns. We haven't had any time to connect as human beings. And so that does happen. Now, Gregor's family is actively terrible to Gregor, in my opinion. I'm not saying they are a role model for that, but I'm saying there's an element of, even though it's magical, it's that realism aspect where we can buy, yeah, a family would act this way in some of these aspects. And they would maybe come together after the death, but maybe not before. Yeah, I can kind of see that. I'm not saying I like it. And I don't think it's a perfect family. I don't think it's a perfect comparison either. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about his family particularly like the way in which they throw views on what it means to be human. I want to talk about the relationship of um, Gregor's father to Gregor, which I think is primarily one of, of pity and of rage. Mm, I think, yeah. And I think I want to talk about the mother's relationship, which I think is primarily one of duty. And fear. And fear. And I want to talk about the sister's relationship, which I think is mainly one of curiosity and... Um, Compassion probably would be the two things that I would describe to the sisters' relationship. What were your thoughts about some of these different dynamics and some of the ways that they played off of each other? I, I had an interesting correlation. I started off despising the parents, but by the end, my respect for them had increased, and I started off really liking the sister, and by the end of it, my respect for her had decreased. Okay, say a little more about that. Um... So the sister, well, so the parents are first just actively terrible to Gregor. They're just. I don't think that's a thing that starts at the beginning of the book. No, but, but like, yeah. <laughs> once they realize he's a bug, they're just not good to him. They are violent. They hide from him. They refuse to see him. They refuse to interact with him. Um, and his dad ultimately causes his death, as we've already pointed out. Um, the sister, though actively tries in the beginning to feed him, to take care of him, to make sure his needs are met. 
Um, and while the parents stay essentially consistent through the book, as far as how they treat Gregor, um, and the only thing that makes them change their behavior is whatever action Gregor performs that they respond to, the sister stops trying after a while. And something about that, that inconsistency seems worse to me than the consistently bad behavior. Why do you think that is? I think it's easy for me, at least, to sympathize with Gregor where he starts becoming more and more frustrated with his sister, not paying attention to him like she used to. Um, it can be really hard to be in a situation where you have some sort of relationship that's been developed a certain way, and then that relationship starts to change or go away because the other person is not putting in the effort that they used to be putting into it. That can be a really frustrating position to be in, and that's where Gregor finds himself. He can't do anything to change his circumstances. So the only change that can come is externally, and there is a person actively taking away from the good in his life by not giving it. And it's frustrating to watch happen. Sure. I see what you're saying. I think there's a degree as well to which... Um... Gregor's interiority develops in a way that makes him increasingly um, isolationist in his approach toward his sister. And I think that as he, you know, he hides from her at the beginning and then he kind of like scares her later on. He gets kind of creepy. Yeah, he gets like, he gets a little creepy, <laughs> you know, looking out the window and like climbing on the walls and stuff, which... Totally understand. Also, like, the weird fantasies he has about her, like, spending all day, every day in his room. Like, it gets weird fast. Yeah, and I think there's a degree to which it reflects a certain kind of reversed, or maybe not even reversed, but a certain kind of re revealed dependency, where we see that a lot of what made Gregor Gregor was that he was, in a sense, very emotionally dependent on the sustenance that he was providing to his family. Right, in the key role that he was playing. You know, I, I don't see my sister that often. And while I'm not a bug, you know, who's trapped in one room all the time, I'm not actually that upset. I understand that she has a life, you know? There's a degree to which, like, I think it's telling of, of maybe some of Gregor's own problems and maybe his own way of, of perceiving himself that his value in a lot of ways was a result of the way that his sister saw him because he was was he paying for her to go to music school was that he was paying point? he was going to pay for yeah, her yeah, to yeah. music school for her to go to music school it almost seems like in in some ways gregor has this weird strings attached kind of relationship and once he kind of loses his hold on them is when he he starts to withdraw more into his interiority and grow in some rage i'm not saying that's the only read but i think it is a read right another way of looking at it what do you think about all this greg i my mind keeps going back to the locked door. Like, at at the beginning, like, there there are a lot of shut doors mm. in this story. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm, I, I literally mean the physical object of a door. Yeah. Like, they're, in this house, they're in, there are lots of shut doors. They're, in this house, we shut doors. <laughs> yeah. He, um, but at the very beginning, he talks about how he's acquired this habit of a traveling, of a traveling salesperson of locking every door when he goes to sleep, no matter where he is, even at home. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, it's kind of symbolic of um, 
of his flaws, like you were mentioning, of his flaws as a person that are kind of contributing to his downward spiral once things start to go really, really wrong with the metamorphosis. Um, he, he's, uh, overall, he, he's kind of, he's, he's a genu genuinely good person trying to take care of these people, but he's also not very, he, he's also shut himself away from them long before, uh, long before they started, uh, shutting him in his room. He, he was shutting himself in his room. Well, I always thought it was odd that none of the family was, like, concerned about this horrific tragedy to their son or to their brother the only thing they seemed concerned about was oh no there's a bug and it's in our home and we no longer have a breadwinner like it it seemed like the two events were not connected to them mm -hmm. like that they were isolated incidents and in a lot of ways they kind of were because gregor wasn't a person to them and i i also think it kind of reveals something about who gregor was uh, his relationship with them kind of reveals something about who he was prior to this um maybe maybe for some people it would make it make it a little bit easier to like not feel so bad of not feel so bad for him i still feel pretty bad for him yeah um in in the course of the story um but he uh his relationship with his parents shows that although he was taking care of them and he loved them he didn't really um he he didn't really uh get close to them he watched them from afar all of his talking about them seemed to be like things he had observed like watching them mm, which is all... basically all he does is a bug yeah and i think there's a degree to which uh, discussing again the, the the novella's themes of interiority i think there's a degree to which like there's part of his family instead of being a part of his exterior they almost become fixtures of his interiority, right? Ways in which he sees himself, right? He doesn't see himself as Gregor. He sees himself as in relation to his job, in relation to his sister, in relation mm -hmm. to his mother, in relation to his father. When all of those relationships crumble, except for his sister, he then defines himself for a period almost exclusively by his relationship to his sister. Now, right? with that said, I took... A read from it that I'm not sure is actually explicitly stated in the text, but does Gregor basically give up on living? Like he just stops caring about continuing on to the next day, right? Like he stops eating, he stops taking care of himself, he stops getting any exercise. Yeah, he just that's stops. True. He also does have like a mortal wound in his right. side at that point. <laughs> but the the stopping eating comes slightly before that doesn't it? Mm, I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong. The The reason I took it as like him like basically trying to have a noble way out of being like, well, I'm clearly too much of a burden on my family. Guess I better stop. I don't know. I think that may be, may be reading too much into what Kafka wrote in the That's text. Fair. I think it's a possible way of looking at it, but I think looking... Gregor's death seems to be less a an instance of trying to take a noble way out. I, I think especially that might be reaching a little too far, in my opinion. And more an instance of a combination of physical and emotional trauma. Physical brought on by his family and emotional brought on by his positioning of himself to his family. Greg, you have some thoughts? Yeah, this question that Nathaniel brings up about that particular read is kind of interesting because it does give us an opportunity to reflect on... Um, to remember that, uh, I keep wanting to say Kafka, Gregor, 
Kafka is a person. Gregor is a person. Like we remember that Gregor is a person because he he's a bug while we've met him. Like throughout the course of the time that we've known him as readers, he's he's a bug. Mm-hmm. He's and, never been anything but a bug to us. And bugs are objects. We we don't describe thinking and feeling to them. So even though we we see Gregor metamorphosized into this cockroach, um thinking and feeling things, it gives us a good opportunity. Like, questions about that gives us a good opportunity to remember that he is a person and people are complicated Mm -hmm. and there's never just one thing going on that's the root cause of everything else. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. And I think there's a lot that isn't explicitly stated in the text. Like this idea that maybe he's trying to take a noble or valor or maybe arrogant way out that can still throw some useful things. I Metamorphosis overall, I think, is a very useful text for understanding who we are as people. Because it is a text that is explicitly about becoming not human, I think it teaches us a lot about what it means to be human. So I want to ask this kind of final question before we wrap up here, before we, we give our takes on how we actually felt about the book. Um, what, do we, what do we think about humanity in concert with this? Right, is Gregor a human in the in the course of the book, or is he something else? Does he metamorphosize, or does his physical form change? And now we're gonna get the takes. Greg looks super excited. I I, I can hold on to it if Nathaniel wants. No, to please go, go. please, please. Okay, this is something. Uh, this is something that anthropologists and sociologists have thought a lot about. It's also something Diogenes thought about, and we're gonna get there. Yeah, but anthropologists and sociologists do it better than philosophers. Sorry. Oh! We, I was joking the other day. I said the role of a teacher is to say as much as possible with as few words, and the role of a philosopher is to say as little as possible with as many words. Just a fun little barb at our philosopher friend there in the corner. Thank you. Thank you. I'm working on my thesis. It should be submitted sometime, eventually. <laughs> So, uh, humanness, personhood is the, is the phrase that's often, or is the, is the, the idiom? idiom yeah, or moniker. 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 It's used, epithet, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's the good. thing, All it's the words. thing that's used. Personhood is what we're discussing here. And there, there are whole fields, uh, or there are whole like papers and fields of research on how people define people. And what's interesting is that like it's really hard to define what uh what is a person what isn't a person outside of the context of a society a community some type of group of others that surround the self and it's uh it's interesting to see here because gregor loses his ability to he loses his ability to work he loses his ability. I'm trying to get these in order. He loses his ability to work. He loses his ability to communicate, and he actually, I think those are the main two things he loses. He loses his ability to eat regular food, and then he loses eat his ability to food. move. Yes, entirely. And then he loses his ability to live. Yes, um, but skipping skipping the ability to live because at that point it's kind of moot because then he's just yeah. he's yeah, yeah, yeah. dead, and generally we don't. Uh, it gets complicated there too about whether dead people are real people. <laughs> um, and as we learned on another podcast, we don't actually know what death is. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the 
so when you have when you have these things stripped away, it's showing things that in Kafka's mind seem to define what is human, uh, or at least what he sees as uh, as his society defining as human. Mm-hmm. Mm. The ability to work, the ability to speak, the ability to eat things that everybody is el- that everybody else is eating, like preferring the same foods as everybody else around you. And the ability to move around on your own and have like individual agency as as to like where you go and when when you go there. Mm-hmm. I would agree really strongly with that. I think there's a degree to which the text itself is reflexive of a cultural surrounding that it finds itself in, mm-hmm. right? And I think that it does inform a lot about the human perspective of personhood of the or the human perspective of what it means to be a a Homo sapien rational self yeah um which i think is really interesting i i like this idea that you you brought up of things being defined not by what they are but by how they relate to other things Mm -hmm. so we can only craft an image of ourselves by othering something else um this is like a big a big post-colonial idea that uh a theorist named edward saeed came up with uh he did it for colonial nations saying that they defined themselves not by any particular thing but by their relationship to what they were colonizing mm-hmm. um, and I think that it holds true here in, in Kafka's writing as well with with colonialism you can't really honestly say if if you if you are choosing to believe that people are generally good when given the chance which I think most people would like to believe mm-hmm. with colonialism you can't say that the you can't say that the things that colonial powers did to those that they colonized, were in any way justified except in the situation that they defined those as, they defined those people as somehow less human than them. Exactly. And I think that relates a lot to what we're talking about here. We're uh, about to wrap up, but Nathaniel, give some of your thoughts on this. Yeah, so uh, Val Plumwood uh, was a great feminist philosopher who worked a lot with classical logic. And one of the things she said is that our classical logic, where we say something is either true or it is false leads to us viewing each other strictly in terms of other and not just in terms of other but we go if there's true i am human then anything that is not like me is not human it's not its own individual thing it's just not human it is false so it's not i am human that is dog that is cat it's not i am male this is female this is child this is non-binary it's i am true everything else is false. And when Gregor stops being the ideal of truth, when he stops seeing himself as human, it doesn't matter what other qualities he has. He doesn't view himself as human anymore. And that's why we never get like a clear, clear description of, I am a cockroach. Mm-hmm. He's just a vermin. I like that. I To harken back to our discussion of inner and outer and interiority that we had before, Gregor never defines himself as specifically something else but he does realize he is not human mm-hmm. and then in the realization of becoming not human he begins to perform not human and lose the functions of humanity or or personhood as we called it when he could easily have maintained not easily but he could have maintained those absolutely all right quick takes rapid fire we don't have a ton of time left on our recording do we like this what do we think about metamorphosis would I, I reread? Yes. Okay. Do you like it? 
Uh, it's not a comfortable read. It's bad. It, yeah, it's it's not comfy. Uh, but I uh no I I I think it was well worth my time and I enjoyed it. Okay, Greg. I liked it. Would I reread it again? I don't know, but I I enjoyed reading it this time, and it reminded me a lot of a book that I read as a child. Although Metamorphosis is much darker, where uh, where dragons start showing up in an otherwise mundane real world. I know Dragon you said, tales. I know you said book, but I thought we were going to go to Mister Limpet, which is a thing that we talked a lot <laughs> in pre-production for this podcast. Um, no, I I largely agree with you, Greg. I don't know if I'll ever read this again unless I have like. Unless I'm going to write something about it. It's, as we've said, not a comfortable read. But I think it was worth its time. And I would recommend anybody who thought some of the ideas we were batting around were interesting, maybe take a look at it and and discuss it as well. And with that, we're going to wrap up our discussion of Metamorphosis. Uh, Thanks for sticking around if you've made it all the way through this episode. Uh, We really appreciate it. Our next episode, we're going to be talking about the BBC special, Mr. Holmes. This one's Nathaniel's piece. Yeah, super excited for it. Uh, It stars Ian McKellen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sir. Sir Ian McKellen. Yes, please give him that moniker. Um, He deserves it. He He, does. He got knighted. He's a fantastic actor. um, But yeah, uh, if you like what you've heard, you can reach out to us at info at peepthisnoise.com. Peep This Noise. That's the name of the podcast, right? Yeah. I like stumbled (laughs) over that and it just didn't feel right. Info at peepthisnoise.com. You can find us on the web at peepthisnoise.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you can rate, review, subscribe in your podcatcher of choice, we'd really appreciate that. That helps signal boost us. We're a new show. We also have our Twitter account. Um, it's just at uh, Peep This Noise. Yeah, at Peep This Noise. Um, I'd like to extend a special thank you to Katie Davidson and the band Key Losers. We reached out to Katie uh, some time ago to get licensing rights for our theme song, I Don't Know Why, and they were incredibly helpful in getting those rights for us, uh, which I really appreciate. Um, so special shout out to them. The, the song, I Don't Know Why, comes from the album California Light, which is an absolute banger of an album i don't know if either of you have listened to it fully yet um but smoggy mountain high is a great track um (laughs) i listened to that one yeah i did listen to that one i haven't listened to the whole album there's some really good tracks on that album we are a program it's a really good uh, some some cool some cool things to listen to there um but yeah that's going to conclude this episode of peep this noise i just want to say uh thank you for listening to the show uh this first episode and remember Everybody likes bad things.